Hawkeye. So, here's the earth. Chilling. Damn, that is a sweet earth, you might say. Round. Alright, ruling out the ice capes melting, meteors becoming crashed into us, the ozone layer leaving, and the sun exploding. We're definitely going to blow ourselves up. Hawkeye. Howdy folks, welcome to another episode of The Russia Guy. Chemical weapons are killing people in Syria again, as the United States fuels up an arsenal of cruise missiles, which Donald Trump says he's going to fire, whether Moscow likes it or not. The headlines about a potential direct military confrontation feel a little more apocalyptic than usual today, so I wanted to talk to an area expert who could shed a little light on this whole situation in Syria. Enter Neil Hauer, an independent analyst and journalist based in Tbilisi, Georgia, who focuses on Syria, Russia, and the North Caucasus. In this interview, Neil and I talked about the chemical weapons attack in Syria that provoked the latest tensions between Washington and Moscow. We discussed evidence and the military situation that got us here, as well as Russia's threat to shoot down American missiles fired at targets in Syria. I also asked him about Russian personnel on the ground and the risk that U.S. bombs might claim Russian lives. That and more. Now here's my interview with Neil Hauer. Well, thank you for, for taking time out in the evening to talk. Um, basically, I don't follow, follow the I don't follow foreign uh, affairs when it comes to Russia that closely, but I know this is, you know, what's happening in Syria right now seems to be somewhat apocalyptic. <laughs> and, um, and I wanted to, I want to talk to somebody with, you know, a, a good grasp of what's been going on there. I just put it on the podcast. I don't expect this would be a, a terribly long uh, episode or interview unless you, t- turns out you've got amazing long things to say, but for the most part, just kind of it, it's the whole, my whole concept with the podcast is I talk to people ask them questions that I personally would like to know more about in the hopes that other people care about it too. And if they don't, then, you know, nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained or whatever. It doesn't really matter, but I'm, I'm interested in, in asking a few things. And so that's why I care. Um, but the, okay. So the first thing that I wanted to ask you, and I've kind of seen a few stories today, but I thought it'd be better to hear from you um, is, you know, what happened in Syria in, in the last week? Uh, that that has prompted the U.S. to threaten more airstrikes, and you know what's what's the evidence that they're citing, and what's the what's been the response from Russia and Syria? So essentially, what happened is last week, forget the exact day, but uh, there's been there was a an offensive that went on for about uh, about about a month now that it was essentially aimed at reducing at, at clearing out all the remaining rebels from uh, this area called Eastern Ghouta, which is just east of Damascus, the capital. And it was, it's been one of the, the largest and most strategic, sitting right next to the, the Damascus, one of the most strategic rebel areas since uh, 2012. And it's sort of it's slowly been reduced. And then for the last, uh, the last two years or so, um, well, the, when the regime was really on the, has really been on the ascendant, as, as it seems like they're, they're, they're going to win for sure, then uh, this was increasingly a target. And so they, they finally launched the offensive, the government forces, backed by Russia in, um, at the start of March. And they, they, they lowered the rebels down. They put them in three small pockets. 
And so the first two of those three pockets made a surrender deal and they evacuated. The deal was that they will evacuate, they'll leave behind their heavy weapons and they'll evacuate to Idlib province in the northwest of Syria, which is the biggest remaining rebel area. And there's, there's been these sorts of deals that have happened all, all throughout Syria in the past two years, essentially. Give up your weapons, surrender from where you are, go to Idlib. And so the third pocket wouldn't do this. The third pocket is the biggest one uh, run by Jaysh al-Islam, which was previously one of like the largest, most powerful rebel groups. And they were negotiating in order to stay there. And uh, this was actually deals that, that Russia proposed and that Russia was negotiating with them as well, and that they would stay there in, um, in Duma city, which is a very large uh, urban settlement on the outskirts of Damascus, and that they would quote-unquote reconcile with the, regre- with the regime, and they would essentially become uh, some sort of regime-aligned force there, but they would retain their own power in that area. So they were basically willing, they were willing to switch sides, really? Or? Yeah, it's some sort of... There, there, there's these sorts of deals that have happened in other areas of Damascus, and sometimes they, they last for longer than others, where essentially the local rebels are given this uh, this sort of deal where they'll they'll hand over their heavy weapons, but they'll be allowed to retain uh, personal firearms, and they'll become sort of like a security force working alongside regime security forces in that area. And these these deals are forced upon them essentially when they don't have any other choices. When it's essentially that, or we we a either launch an offensive and kill you, a bunch of us die, but you die for sure, or we uh, ship you out to uh, Idlib province. And the, the, so the Russians were uh, had, had actually proposed some of these deals and negotiations were going on and the and, uh, Jaysh al-Islam wanted to uh, yeah, accept and stay on there. And the regime didn't like this. And so the regime, uh, rather than launch, uh, it had essentially two choices then. It basically wanted to launch mil- some sort of military action and force them to accept the evacuation. And it, it would, to launch just a full-scale conventional offensive would have been very costly on the area, and they could have held out for weeks, e- easily for weeks, maybe for months in, in that area. And what would be much easier is to just uh, hit them with a large indiscriminate attack, which is, a, uh, which is chemical weapons. And chemical weapons have been used on average about once a week in Syria over the last four years, which is something most people don't realize, mostly chlorine and... Uh, Every now and then, like last April, there was the, the sarin attack when the U.S. struck. And this one, it looks like we're, it's still unsure whether or not there was a nerve gas mixed with sarin or, or nerve gas rather mixed with chlorine or whether it was just chlorine strike that happened to hit like a densely packed area. And chlorine strikes usually result in two, five, six dead, something like that. This one is 40 dead to date and 1,000 treated. So... We're still not sure what the chemical was, but essentially this one was a much larger scale casualty event. And that's what makes it different from, from the ones that happened weekly? Yeah, exactly. It was basically way more, um, casual, way, way more casualties, and then there was lots of photos and image and videos that spread all around, and it became very visible very quickly, this one. Well, so, in what's, so that's, this, that's what happened. What, uh, what does Russia and what does Syria say in response to these accusations. Russia has done that sort of thing it does when it's scrambling and trying to deny, like with uh, Skripal or MH17 or whatever, and they've given like 15 different explanations going from it didn't happen to it was a provocation staged by um, the White Helmets for this group that's the subject of a million conspiracy theories 
despite the fact that they're just first responders, they're um, grassroots organized civil civil society group. And so Russia has gone with all range of things from mostly settling now on it was a, a provocation, a false flag attack. Russia had said about a week beforehand that, oh, there's going to be a provocation here, that there's going to be a, a, a false flag chemical attack again. So does that mean that they acknowledge that they're they acknowledge there was a chemical attack, but they're claiming it was done to incriminate the Syrian government, or are they, are they sticking to the idea that there was no chemical attack? Yeah, they've, they've switched to the idea now, mostly, that there was, um, uh, there was a chemical attack, but that it was a false flag attack. What's happening in terms of uh, requests or demands for inspectors on the ground, and why, why has the United States apparently decided to push ahead with missile strikes and not kind of not pursue you know, uh, some kind of inspection presence. Yeah. So the, the, the exact workings of the, the inspection missions are, are not, are, are not exactly my forte, but the, there was a joint inspection mission with mission that was set up last year that investigated the area of the, the, the strikes in Syria and it, it went in and collected samples. I'm not sure if they were able to make it to the exact site of the, the strikes itself, but at any rate, this was agreed on by all sides. Syrian government, um, the Russian government, etc., and the, the end results of that were conclusively that the Syrian government committed the attack. And th- so th- there was a proposal for that joint investigation mission to be extended. Uh, Russia vetoed that proposal, and so the, the 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 new proposal that they had in the last 48 hours here was essentially to create another, it, it essentially to create a, a Russian one, a Russian run. Um, chemical chemical weapons inspection team, and the the Syrian government said, "Oh, we'll we'll let you guys in here," but it was going to be just under uh, Russian auspices and Syrian government auspices, without, uh, to my knowledge, without uh, some of the, the extraneous um, safeguards that the, the U.S. and other organizations look for. And the, the Russian essentially the, the Russian military police were in the area inside Duma. Uh, within 24 hours after the attack, essentially, right in the area where it happened. So who knows what they've done with the evidence at this point, too. Uh-huh. Okay. And when, when, when they were there, did they claim to have found any evidence, or did they say they found nothing? This is one of the things that was going around is, I forget if this was from Russian sources or just pro-regime sources, but they're saying, oh, we're talking to everyone in Duma, and no one's heard of a chemical attack. No one says that, no one's been to the hospital, and everyone says, what are you talking about? We talk about the chemical attack, and... This is a narrative that last that stuck around for, I think not even, didn't think it made it 24 hours, but that was something they were saying initially. But not so much anymore. Yeah. Now they, they seem to have gone to Russia's, I think it was Nabenza at the, the UN who said that it was a false flag attack uh, within the last 24 hours here. So that sort of has superseded these other. And I don't know if you've been following this, but the, the Russia's ambassador to Lebanon allegedly made comments yesterday on Tuesday evening in Arabic on TV, sort of escalating Moscow's position and saying that Russia would now shoot down any U.S. missiles launched at Syria and they'd counterattack the launch sites. So not just the not just any U.S. missiles or attacks that threaten Russian personnel on the ground, but but, you know, any attacks on Syria whatsoever. Is is that what's happened or is there or is there something I'm missing here? Yeah, from the quote, the quote that I saw, it said that he would shoot down. They said that he said that that Russia would shoot down any and all cruise missiles launched into Syria. And maybe, maybe I didn't see the full one. I didn't see a part about counterattack. I, I think I only saw part of the remarks, but he did claim that they would shoot down all of them. And so does, does Russia have 
Where, where does Russia have personnel on the ground in Syria right now? The main one is the Hamimim Air Base on the coast. And then they, they have sort of smaller detachments scattered throughout. They actually have some personnel still at the air base that the Israelis hit the other day, the T-4 air base in central Syria, because that, that was one of the big bases that, was, uh, that, Russia, what, that Russia was using when the anti-ISIS campaign was going last year, and they were capturing territory in the east in the center of the country. Uh, and then they have different detachments of um, monitoring troops and military police uh, in Aleppo city, in Homs and Hama cities, I believe, and in, at different checkpoints. And one in eastern Ghouta, there is a there is a checkpoint near there, near right beside Duma, where they had um, uh, they're they're running a huge quote unquote humanitarian corridor there, and a few other military police checkpoints that they have. They 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 even supposedly have them in uh, in the south near the the Golan Heights with Israel. But uh, we're not sure if those are still active. The areas where there are these Russian personnel on the ground, are these places that Washington would presumably want to attack in, in response to the, to the chemical weapons uh, strike? I think that the areas that the U.S. will probably strike will be, I really don't think they'll hit Hamimim Air Base. That would be very provocative. It is a Russian air base now. But aside from Hamimum, there's not much Russian presence at the other places they're likely to strike, which will be um, the, the other air base in the country. I think especially Meza Air Base, which is a big one in near central Damascus. And that, that is uh, almost certainly where the chemical attack was launched from. So, and it's a big, very infamous place with a infamous uh, Air Force intelligence prison. Air Force intelligence is the... The, 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 the most feared and the most brutal of the, the, the different intelligence uh, uh, organizations in the, the Syrian the security apparatus. There's not a Russian pers- military personnel presence at this airbase that you just described? I don't believe so. I mean, we don't have any in, in information indicating that there is. There could be a few advisors there, but not that we know. And that's the, presumably the, the most likely target for an American missile strike, right? I mean, if that's the place that launched the chemical weapons attack. Yeah, I, I think 100% that's the most likely one. So would you say that currently Russia's deployments in Syria are mostly strategic and that they're not going out of their way to put people you know, in the path of U.S. missiles as human shields? Yeah, I don't see any evidence of that. I think it's actually the opposite in that I saw reports today that they've evacuated helicopters from uh, two air bases in central Syria and then I just saw a report saying that they've actually moved most of their, their vessels out of port in Syria as well. So I think they're, they're, they're pulling them out of possible targeted areas. I mean, the, the, a big question that, that's hanging out right now is whether or not they knew about the Israeli strike ahead of time, that happened, the, the strike that happened two days ago, because it took, place, took part, place at a base where Russian advisors were present. The, the Russians have said that the Israelis didn't tell them ahead of time and that there were Russian advisors there, but that they weren't injured. Um, there's uh, some reports coming from anonymous coalition sources that say that they, that they they think that the Russians were told because there were Russians there and then they moved in the hours before the strike. But that's a, a big question that's still up in the air. What would be Russia's incentive for keeping that information from the Syrians? Just, I mean, just their, their whole idea here is not to get in the way of these Western 
airstrikes in order to reduce the tensions, I suppose, or is that is that the logic I, that, that's operating here? Yeah, this this one was interesting in that this airbase, it's uh, actually not run mostly by the Syrians, but by the Iranians. And Israel had struck this earlier about six weeks before as well, after uh, a drone, an Iranian drone launched from that facility across the Golan Heights into Israeli territory. And then that's that's the same time at which uh, the Israelis, they had a jet shot down, and then they, they followed that up with uh, the largest Israeli Air Force operation since 1982, and they took out about half of Syria's air defenses. And then so they struck the same site again, and uh, it was Iranians there operating this drone facility. And so the, the, the question is, if Russia did in fact know um, either they figured it's better not to tell the Iranians and just leave them there. And uh, they, they, they obviously didn't tell the Iranians that they did. The, the, the thinking is last year when that, that the U.S. strikes happened that they did tell the Syrians and the Syrians mostly got out. But uh, this time around, they, they wouldn't have told the Iranians. And so that would be either because, A, um, they, they figure it's going to be more harmful to Israeli-Russian relations if they tell the Israelis and then the Iranians all get out and the strike doesn't do anything. Or B, because uh, Russia and, and Iran really don't get along that well in Syria, and they are very much allies of convenience with different goals and, and strategies, and the Russians may have been actually somewhat happy with or just uh, at the very least fine with the Iranians getting hit there. Uh, is there any precedent for Russians firing on American missiles fired anywhere in Syria? Like, is that something that's happened before? No. The, the, the only missile strikes against regime targets to date were last year, and those weren't fired upon at all. In fact, I, I, I saw reports at the time saying that they, the, the Russians physically couldn't have hit them because of the path the missiles took and uh, how low they stayed to the ground and just the capabilities of the Russian air defenses. But in principle, if they were to fire on missiles, that wouldn't necessarily... I mean, I know that would, in theory, be a direct military confrontation, but it wouldn't I mean, it, it wouldn't draw any American casualties necessarily, right, if they're firing on a missile in the air. I mean, it doesn't sound quite as dire as if the Russians were to counter-strike a launch site. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these, these, these will be fired from ships off the coast in, uh, in the Mediterranean. And, yeah, it would just be launching a couple, a couple of missiles from their S-400s or their Pantsirs or whatever at uh, these Tomahawks. And I, I think that's honestly what I expect, is that they'll launch a few missiles, they'll take out a few Tomahawks. Um, it sort of remains to be seen what these other nations and this, co and this coalition the U.S. is seemingly putting together will do if they'll conduct actual airstrikes. But I expect the U.S. to be mostly, to be a, a mostly or entirely cruise missiles. And I don't think the, the Russians, I, I really don't think they'll go beyond firing a couple cruise missiles. And how how easy is it to knock a cruise missile out of the air? Uh, it's not. It's yeah, no. This is this is one of these things that's going around. Is they they seem to think it's pretty easy. Uh, if if it, if it was easy to knock out cruise missiles, you know, there would be no crisis in North Korea right now because you just say, oh, we'll shoot down all their missiles if they launch them. And so yeah, it, 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 they 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 might be able to get a few, but the A to S four hundred isn't really designed for that. It's more designed for. Um, anti-aircraft operations, and B, it, it just is difficult. They're, 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 I, I'm not a, a technical person or a military person by any means, but I know that they, they, they can't be expected to shoot down more than a handful, even if they, even if they increase the number of uh, S-400 systems that they have in Syria. I really honestly think that the Russians 
don't like the fact that Assad uses these chemical weapons. I think that they would have much rather had him just wait it out. I mean, they were proposing the plan and direct, that he essentially went and settled. And last year, it was hugely embarrassing for them when this happened. And not only did they have to, it was revealed to everyone that, oh, this, this uh, plan for removing all the chemical weapons didn't work. But then also for the Russians, they didn't even fire a shot at all this, at any of the missiles. And the Syrians were all, the pro-regime Syrians were all going, and even the Russians themselves, the Russian users were saying, what the hell is the point of all our, of all our missile, our huge anti-air defenses, if they apparently can't do anything, we're not even going to use them. So I, I really think that this is a thing that, the, that frustrates the Russians a lot, and that they really don't like Assad. They, they, they just, they, Putin thinks he's an idiot that led to this whole crisis, this whole civil war himself by mismanaging it. But uh, he's the, the, the man in, the, the, man in the, the, the presidential palace in Damascus. So they sort of are forced to deal with him, and that involves fun stuff like this. That's my interview with Neil Hauer, an independent analyst and journalist based in Tbilisi, Georgia, who focuses on Syria, Russia, and the North Caucasus. You can follow him on Twitter at Neil P. Hauer. I'll include a hyperlink to his account in the description of this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider pledging some of your hard-earned money at patreon.com backslash Kevin Rothrock. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time. Погадать на короля. Ой-ля-ля, ой-ля-ля, погадать на короля.